Thank you, guys. I was just uh, today we're going to be talking about work, and uh, one of the things I was just reflecting about this morning as I showed up to this space is how much work uh, it takes for this to happen each week. Uh, not in like a negative, like man, we're like working too hard, but just uh, there's about 30 people each week that have to participate in something to make our gatherings. Uh, be fruitful and and be significant and I just think that's really cool it's so exciting to hear about another person who wants to who's volunteering on their own behalf to like help serve our children even more Uh, and then also I was thinking about how this is a five Sunday month and so people in the tall house have been like faithfully keep coming each week except for the one week you went to the mountains uh, to like set up uh, as well as uh, there, no one's in here, I don't think, because it takes all of them to do it. But uh, the Mid-City MC that started in January has been for five weeks serving our kids, which is just awesome. And, that's, and all of that labor is like significant. Uh, it's pretty cool to be in a church of so many servants. Even though this isn't like the main thing that we are, it's pretty cool to see people give so much time and their energy to do that. So that's, I'm just excited about that. Uh, that is not in my notes, so I probably shouldn't have added more to my sermon today. Uh, We're in a series, as Danielle said, about wisdom, about work, and I just want to briefly remind us why we're doing that. Uh, Back in January, we sort of, as as a church, cast a vision for us to be a people uh, in this city who are growing uh, deeply, who are being transformed. We talked about even revival and renewal within our own lives, Uh, and that we as a church would grow up in being mature, that we'd grow in love and our affections for Jesus, but also faithfully living out what Jesus calls us to do. At the same time, we talked about us as a church uh, growing to being a hub or like a central, uh, you know, sort of heartbeat in the city where we get to equip and train and send people out to all over all over the city to to be the church and new expressions that we'd become a church planting hub or a family of churches in the city over the next, you know, five, ten, one hundred years. Uh, and, and I think that you're like, why does that have to do with Proverbs? Uh, what we believe about God and what God does in our hearts uh, transforms the way that we live. Uh, and if we want to be, be a, a city of people or a church of people who are living as sent ones in our city, with the capacity, the abilities, even like the heart posture to do that, to care for others in our city, to love one another uh, as Christ loves the church, if we're going to do all of that, then we probably have to uh, pursue and grab hold of a life that God is calling us to live, instead of being tossed to and fro by whatever the city or our culture tells us to do. I think often we wake up each day and do whatever our circumstances dictate. Uh, And we think, well, this is just a busy, rough day. And then that becomes a busy, rough week, busy, rough month. And then a whole life has passed, and we ask, well, what, what did you do that really mattered in life? And we say, well, I did whatever the task was each day, and the tasks controlled us. I think what's powerful about wisdom literature in the Bible is it says, and I love the graphic, it's also cool, speaking of someone who put a lot of work into it, Daniel Margame. Uh, has lots of design game. Uh, but, but wisdom literature has us look up to the expanses of the sky and say, wow, we are so small. But then wisdom literature throughout the Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, all tells us to actually then look to the small minutia of life and says that that matters too. 
Uh, Proverbs uh, 9, uh, 10, this is going to be like a recurring verse that we look at. Uh, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And just sort of a sneak peek into how, like, whenever you're opening your Bible and it looks funny formatted, you know, like it looks like a poem, that's kind of like a clue that uh, you're reading poetry or, and the lines are, like, linked together to be uh, on purpose. So sometimes you have two, they're called couplets, if you remember, like, Shakespearean stuff whenever you're trying to like, write poems to your girlfriend in like high school. But uh, they're called couplets. And sometimes what they're doing is they're to- taking two similar things to give us like, deeper understanding of what's happening. And so in verse 10, what's happening, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, meaning the respect to put ourselves under Yahweh, uh, that, that he is God, that he's the great I am, he's the first of all creation, like there, he has no preceding, he has no extinguishing, like he is God, and to fear him means he's God and we're not, and that's how you start living a wise life. And then he says, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So these two things are paired together. The wisdom or fear of the Lord is paired with knowledge. The Lord, Yahweh, is paired with the Holy One. Wisdom is paired with insight. Uh, all of that to say, Uh, We want to press into this book of Proverbs and learn how to live wisely because if we do that, we'll have to know God and we'll be transformed by that. We'll have insights in how to live a a life that that truly matters amidst all of the really like natural stuff of life. So the book of Proverbs is not uh, linear. It's just like over and over again, the same sort of stuff. There's basically 12 things that Proverbs talks about over and over again. Uh, in these little couplets, uh, work, family, parenting, friendship, the word of God, uh, learning, uh, and, and it just goes over and over again, these same topics. And so that's what we're going to do as a church. Each Sunday uh, for the next, I think there's 11 more weeks of this, we're going to take one of those topics and just dive into it. And so today we're talking about work. Uh, work is such a funny thing. Uh, I think work is the first word that my son learned, Truman. You've seen him run around. He's a, he's an animal. Uh, I mean, he, I mean, he's like a primal. Uh, but he, I think work is one of the first words that he learned because each morning, you know, we get up, we try to take care of the children, get them fed and clothed and diaper changed, you know, that whole routine. Then eventually, Miguel and I turn towards ourselves. We get ourselves ready for the day, uh, and we get dressed. And then as soon as I begin putting on my shoes or getting my stuff together, Truman begins to freak, no work, no work, no work. And then he chases me to the door, screaming and shouting. And even, even after I shut the door, he's just yelling, no work, no work, no work. And it's amazing because it's this word that he knows, and he repeats it about as much as he repeats like the word please or banana or those other things. Yet he has no clue what it is. Like, work to him is just this void thing that exists out there in the world. And dad leaves, and he does work, whatever that is. And then he comes home, and he's not doing work anymore. Like, that's his basic understanding. I think that that's uh, a little bit less than our understanding, but ours is pretty close to Truman's. Uh, (laughs) Work is this thing that we know that we're supposed to do it, uh, we know that there are things that we love about our work. 
Uh, we know that in high school, someone came to us and tried to guide us towards our passions and possibilities and skills to like find our magic work. Uh, we know that if we don't work, we don't have money. Uh, we know that uh, you know there's things about work that we really don't like, uh, and we know that we spend a lot of time doing work. But like what it actually means, we have no clue. Just like Truman, we're just sort of like shouting at the door, like work, no work. And so to start, we actually have to look at the very beginning of the Bible. Uh, we have to look to the first lines of the Bible just to understand what work is, and then we'll dive into Proverbs and, and get some you know, wisdom on how to do this. Uh, but work uh, is actually the very beginning of the story. It's pretty remarkable. Genesis 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and was void. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. See, the the very initial lines are about how God created. That that work, and that word create, er, is a working word, is before humans, before stars, before birds, before, you know, any of the beautiful pictures you read in a children's Bible, before any of that, there was work. Like, God is a worker. Uh, If we want to understand what we're supposed to do with the labor of our hands and our vocations, all that, we actually don't start with, what are my skills and competencies? But we have to start with, who is God and what is he like and what is this, what, what comes of this? And it starts with, God existed and creates. God is a worker. Who, who molds and fashions things. The rest of the verses through, uh, he goes through and describes how God created light and the, the galaxy and the stars and the sun and how he created all the fish and the plants and the seeds. And, and he did all of this. And in each rotation, he's saying, it was so good. It was so good. That kid is like upset. Uh, now whoever stands up, we know who it is. Um, <laughs> It's probably my son. Uh, work uh, is, is a delight to God, we see. And then all of his working is actually to create this thriving, beautiful garden where, where the plants are always yielding fruit, where the animals are, are loving to exist and they're being fruitful and they're multiplying and everything is beautiful and awesome. And that's what we should, when we say, what is work? We actually imagine this, uh, the guy who has all the competencies and the skills and then lavishly uses it to help build some sort of thriving thing. But that's not all, because in verse 26, uh, it says, Then God said, Let us make man, or the word is like mankind, in our image, after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And and God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heaven, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. In this passage, what we see is that God didn't just exist as a creator, as a worker, with much delight, but he created, out of that delight, humankind, humanity. We all, we all began, became into existence as the image bearers of God. One of the primary uh, identities that we all hold at all places and all times, is that we're people that reflect who God is and what He's like. We're, we're uh, walking mirrors to the world. As, as God sort of shines on us, we like display His character. That we're, we're made to, to be a portrayal, a little image of God. It's one of the things that's so wrong with idolatry that gets used over and over again through the Old Testament is that we create little wooden or silver things that are supposed to be images of God, but we were actually created to be the image of the one true God, to, to be and exist as, as uh, people in the likeness of God's very character. And then, out, outside of that, the very first thing that humans are given isn't... Uh, about worship or about sexuality or about who's in charge, men or women, or any of those things. The very first thing given to humans is to make and cultivate and subdue the earth. That, and this is trippy, I know, because you're like, I thought work was just some incidental thing that I had to do. But work is actually, before all things, humans were created to do it to take responsibility, to, to partner with God in this world. And just a, a quick aside that work in the Bible, so if we wanted to have a good like biblical understanding of work, work is not a career, like you might think of your W-2 form or something like that if you just filled out your taxes, uh, where it's like, oh, my work is what gives me money. In the scriptures, work is all the responsibilities of life that we do to survive and to create flourishing around us. So even if you have a career and then you come home and you have to wash the dishes, clean your car, and do all of that stuff, that's all work. If you uh, stay home with your children, you're caring for them and loving them and making sure they're fed and clean, which is like so much work, that's your work, right? There's not a, this sort of segmenting of society only came after the Industrial Revolution. So in this stage, it's just that's all work is. The, the labor of your hand and all of it, the task of life, those responsibilities, are to build a thriving world, just like God did. And we're supposed to, to do that work to display what God is really like. And it's not simply clocking in or clocking out. And see, this is like so important. Your work matters. Your work is significant. It's not just survival. And your work here is, is it really important. And it's not just important because maybe you work with famous people. Or uh, it's really important because you earn a lot of money from it. And it's not really important because people are relying on you to do it. 
It's really important because it's God's work through you. That God didn't just create once and then walk away, but he created human beings to work through us for his continual thriving of the world. Work is fully human. And work is part of God's plan for human wholeness. Just like worship, just like sex, just like love, just like all of these things, we were created to be full humans, and that includes work. We're built for it. We're crafted for it. Even the word that that is used, let us make mankind, is is a word of someone molding out of dust and clay. We were sculpted for work. And it's something that our our loving Creator intends for our good. That it's not an accidental circumstance of life. Even in the garden, when everything was yielding fruit, and everything was fruitful, and, and everything was easy, God intended for Adam and Eve to get up each day and work. And you might say, well, why is that? It's because love, uh, in love, God offers us this incredible blessing of participating in all that He's doing. It's offered up to us, and, and God says, Come, create with me. Come, take care of this world with me. This is one of the primary ways in which we show the world what God is actually like. It's amazing, right? And you're asking, okay, what is God's work? And what does a garden, you know, billions of years ago, have to do with uh, me building rocket ships or me, you know, bagging groceries, or whatever it is that you do. I have a, there's a list here. Uh, there's a lot of smart people that have worked to, to sort of fashion up this list of what is God's work in this world. Uh, the first is there's creative work, where God fashions and forms the physical and human world. And we all participate in that whenever we're artists or we're craftsmen, where we're interior designing our homes. Whether you're a metal worker, a carpenter, a builder, you're all participating in God's creative work in this world when you do those things. There's also providential work that God graciously provides and sustains human life and the world. But we participate in that work. Uh, that, that God has fashioned an orderly, beneficial world and society so that we can thrive, we participate in that. Bureaucrats do that. Public utility workers do that. Policymakers, shopkeepers, uh, builders, farmers, firemen. Uh, there's a huge list. Entrepreneurs, researchers, all these people that contribute to a society where people have jobs and are able to, to build and thrive as humans all participate in God's providential grace to the world. There's also justice work, where God maintains and keeps things right. Where judges and lawyers and regulators and city managers all sort of do this work. Policemen, uh, prison wardens, supervisors, all of these people are doing this work of making and keeping justice. And they're participating not in just a human American society, but they're, they're doing God's work in this world. Then there's also compassionate work, where God's involvement in comforting and healing human beings, guiding and shepherding, counseling us. That's the super practical, like doctors and nurses do this work, but also psychologists and therapists and parents and pharmacists, nonprofit directors are all doing this sort of work. There's also revelatory work, God's work to enlighten us with the truth or to show us what's true in the world. 
Uh, this is my favorite one because preachers do this work. But also, this is why it's my favorite, scientists do that work. The preachers and scientists and journalists and educators and philosophers and scholars and writers and all of these people do this work of saying, this is what we know to be true about how the world works, and God wants us to know the truth. Then there's redemptive work, God's saving and reconciling actions, like peacemakers and parents and writers and artists and poets and songwriters, anyone who's, who, who publicly displays, hey, this is how we're broken and this is some sort of picture of getting there and finding healing and wholeness. And those are all the types of God's work. So one of the things that we might, that maybe is just helpful to know is that's what God is doing in the world. I think it's often we imagine that what God is doing in the world is just caring for me. But this is all of the work that God has been doing in the world for millions and millions of years since he fashioned it. When God said, in the beginning, I'm going to create the heavens and the earth, I'm going to speak light into existence, he was taking responsibility for all of that work. And then when he makes human beings, he says, come and do this work with me. That's called the creative mandate. And so work is not just about self-fulfillment or enrichment or self-promotion. It's about God's presence in the world and us working on the purposes of God in this world. Uh, A guy who's done a lot of study on this, his name is Steve Garber, and he wrote this, that work is integral, not incidental, to the mission of God in the world. Uh, In other words, work is not just an accidental circumstance in which we do evangelism, but the work that we do itself is is integral into the very purposes of God. See, maybe you look at this list that was up there just a second ago and think, oh, maybe you've thought all along, what God's work is only redemptive work. And so then if God's only work is redemptive work, then the only work that matters might be evangelism or being a pastor or something like that. But really, all of work is central to the mission of God, which is a human and thriving world. That means... That all work is purposeful, and all work is God-ordained present. Whether it's cleaning dishes, or making something that people see, or you know, designing secret stuff, whatever it is some of you people do in South Bay. <laughs> or if it's tucking your children into bed, or if it's just showing up and being a friend, and doing reconciliatory work, whether it's helping two neighbors find some sort of agreement, whether it's being kind and gracious to people as you walk the streets, all of that, all of these responsibilities of work, of life, are, are purposeful to God's mission of seeing the world completely restored and whole. That's what God invites us into. And now you're thinking, that has nothing to do with what I do Monday through Friday, because... I show up to work and people are gossiping and they're malicious and there's these people that value things that are so false, that, but then the whole company is built around these false premises. Uh, the, the things that we're trying to sell, the things that we're trying to make are just broken. We know that like all of us thriving as Adam and Eve were doing here where all the seeds are perfect and God's given us all this stuff. We know that's not how it actually is, Right? 
And that's because the story doesn't end in Genesis 1. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, we see uh, Adam and Eve do what's called the, the big rebellion, where they decide instead of working in God's thriving garden, they would rather create for themselves some other world. They could fashion it themselves. Instead of participating in God's work, they could just do their whole new work. Uh, it reminds me of, uh, and this is super trivial, but when I was 13, I was in a ska band, and I was like, hey, I just don't like how you use the distortion pedal. I'm going to go and start my own ska band. <laughs> this is basically the rebellion of humanity. We say, ah, like, yes, you created this wonderful thing. Not ska, but like the, the world. But man, we could be more like God. And so they take and they eat and they rebel against, uh, against God. And then God graciously seeks them out and finds them and then explains to them the world that they're now entering into because of this rebellion. And he talks to the snake and the Eve, but he says this to Adam. In verse 17 of chapter 3, he says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." And for many of us, this sounds more like work. Like, each day I show up and there are new thorns and painful experiences that I have to undertake. That, that my work now feels like I'm just toiling for something that's never going to be put right. And by the sweat of my brow, I'll do it each day and then I'll die. And that is what work is like. Because see... Uh, Work is one of the primary ways that we exist in the world that we're supposed to reflect God's image. Because of sin, it's also one of the deepest, most painful, scary, awful parts of our existence. Because sin is so pervasive in all of our lives. That human beings are not doing redemptive work. They're doing like consumer work. Instead of doing uh, justice work, we're doing injustice, right? We're, we've turned it upside down and we live in a world now where work is thorns and thistles. I, uh, in Portland, we had lots of blackberry bushes, and there's this other thing called marionberries that are really awesome. Jeff knows what I'm talking about. But the plants are tasty, like the berries. You all eat these berries that you buy at the grocery store for like $6 a little quart. And you think, what a beautiful, delightful berry. They're like the scourge of the earth. They are so painful to, to like look at because these thorns are massive and they're sticking out. To pull one blackberry costs you so much flesh. And that's what I think of every time I see this because that's what it feels like to work, doesn't it? Like we show up and I get a little bit out of it. And there's some like tinglings of fulfillment there. But for the most part, it's just taking pounds and pounds of flesh from me. And so Proverbs is actually written into that kind of, what do you do if you were created for work like this, but then the way we experience work is like that? Like, what's the way forward? And that's basically the wisdom of Proverbs. And, uh, we'll, and we'll read three and sort of go through them. That, that how do you do this thing of work in such a broken world? And Proverbs 6 uh, is, uh, is where we'll start. 
and it's a fun one. All of the work ones sound kind of like your grandfather telling you how to be a man. At least that's how I read it somewhat. And verse 6, in light of all this brokenness, in light of the world being so painful about, you know, by the sweat of your brow, you'll eat bread and then you'll die. In verse 6, he says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. See, in this proverb... He says to the sluggard, which is a great word, we should use a lot more. It's better than lazy bum, maybe. But he says to the sluggard, he says, look at the ant. And this is one of the things that I love. It's like, look at this small, insignificant thing and be like that. The ant does, like the wisdom here is that the ant shows up. The ant arrives and does its work. The, the ant takes initiative. There's no one threatening the, them to like build and do and create and find food. The ant just gets up every day and goes into work. The ant shows up without any threat, without any fear, takes initiative, gathers its things. While I think for, for us, often the brokenness of the world, we might not get in our literal beds, but we want to hide and cower. And say, maybe I just won't show up. I'll just call in sick. Uh, when one of my uh, first jobs in Portland, or maybe it was the very first, I had many jobs in Portland. I worked for Hertz Rental Car, uh, and I think the statutes of limitation have ended, so they can't sue me for talking bad about it. I don't know. <laughs> Ryan's like, no, you can't. It's a great company. Uh, but it was so painful. There's so much about it that was broken. You had to work with these insurance companies and these body shop companies to, that were all basically just different versions of scamming people. Like getting, like people getting a fender bender and then they're out like thousands of dollars even though it wasn't their fault. And, and I was the middle person there. The rental car person sort of stands between and then has to call people and say, you gotta pay us our money for the rental car. You gotta pay us our money for the rental car. It's this terrible job. People yelled and shouted at me. There was this one day where I thought this lady was going to tear the building down. She was so angry with me. And each day I would cry coming home from work and I would cry going to work because I didn't want to be there. And it was such a like just a drain from my life. But every day my wife would like Mirella would write like psalms on a like little index note and stick it into my pocket. I had to wear a suit while I like, vacuumed cars. It was awesome. Uh, she would put this note. She's like, you can go to work today. Like, you can do this. And then I did. And not to be like I'm some sort of superhero. It was just like rental cars, you know. But this is what the wisdom is. And I love this. In light of this broken world, show up to work. What's wisdom? What's this radical way of doing work and under God's intention and plan? It's that we would show up. The, the next proverb to look at is Proverbs uh, 26, verses 13 and 16. In this one, he says, <laughs> the, the, the sluggard will say, there's a lion in the road. 
There's a lion in the streets, and as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Here he's, he's basically using this terrible example of this sluggard to show us what's wise. And the first thing is, is that the lion is in the road. There's a lion on the streets. Wisdom is actually brave. Wisdom shows up to work, but it also shows up to work brave. Yes, the world out there is disastrous and will consume us, yet we go to work. Then the second thing that he talks about is that the sluggard will put his hand in the dish, but it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. That in the face of all that's hard, we might show up to work, but we're not going to finish it. It's the idea of someone puts their hand in a bowl of fruit, but won't pull the fruit out and eat of it. Like, won't complete the task. Wisdom finishes the job. That we show up, and it, and, it, and it requires courage to do so. But then we finish the tasks. But then the other thing that he says here, too, is that the sluggard says in his own eyes that I'm better than these seven guys. And I think that that perhaps may, might strike at least me better than, you know, these other things. Because I'll show up to work, and I'll think I'm the best person for this job. And if only the, the managers and the supervisors, if only the company could just sit down and listen to me, then I would work really well because they would be doing what I think we should be doing. But all of these things are so messed up. The plans, the procedures, you know, the, the, the mechanisms, the way that we use email. If we could just cut that all out and we would just listen to me, then I would work great. I would do the job well. I'm better than all these other people. It reminds me of, I was a supervisor at UPS. Uh, I had a lot of jobs. And, uh, and what would happen is, we'd have all these, I was in charge of teaching people how to load boxes into trucks. That was my job. It's actually, it's amazing. Uh, you teach people how to win Tetris over and over again. I used to be able to load 4,000 boxes an hour. No joke. There's a lot of machines that helped me. Uh, <laughs> But what would happen is, is I would go into these trucks and people's, their boxes are piled everywhere. They're not doing anything right. And I would say, hey, like, so this is, these are the principles. Do these principles. And these guys would be like, no, nah, man, I think that if I put the tires on the bottom, then we could build this really great tower of boxes. You mean these round things? You want to build a tower with round things? Yeah, we put the round things at the bottom. Hey, man, you can't do it that way. You got to do it our way. Uh, I just don't know if I can work here. But that's us all the time, right? And that's what he's saying here. This Proverbs 26 says that the, the wise person shows up to work, but they, do, they complete the work with courage, but also with humility. And then the last proverb to look at is Proverbs 9, uh, 1 through 6. And this, it says, Wisdom has built her house... Just a quick aside, I love how wisdom is always this amazing woman in Proverbs because it's like true. Uh, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She's also set her table. 
And then she has sent out all of her young women to call. So up to this point, what you find out is that this, this wise woman has done all the work, built her house, made her wine, gathered her meat, setting a table. She's done all the work to have this big, bountiful feast. And then she sends out all of her young servants to, do, to like make this announcement. And that's what happens in verse 4. Whoever is simple, and this is not like a, a nice term, uh, whoever simple, let them turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. And this proverb, what's happening is this person that has created and done all the work incredibly well, then turns and says to you simple or without any sense, you know, basically, you idiots, you idiots out there that didn't work, you sluggards that were too scared of the lions, that, that didn't want to pull your hand out of the fruit, come, eat, drink, come to my feast. See, the wise see their work not just as life-giving for themselves. See, these other proverbs are like, if you do work this way, you'll get to eat at the end of it. This one is saying, the wise work in such a way that they... they care for and bring life to all the people around them. Not just themselves, not just their business, but all these people around them will experience life-giving feasts. And this is the real rub. And this is foolishness. You even do all that life-giving work for people who don't deserve it. For people who don't have the sense. For people who haven't put in the work for people who didn't make the right decisions, for people who lived like fools. You, you do work and you view it and then even live it as a way of blessing all of these other people. And this, I, I believe, is one of the big, powerful places in which our church can demonstrate the gospel in our city. Can you imagine an army of people in our city that show up to work every day and aren't afraid of what might happen? Uh, that aren't consumed with their work then defines them, but instead work freely, without a fear of a lion, and humbly, without thinking they're better than everyone else. And then the fruit of that work is for all these people who are not as smart, not as good, not as talented. It's pretty wild, isn't it? And that's the wisdom that we find for work in Proverbs. All you got to do is show up. All you got to do is show up humbly and with courage and finish your jobs. And then work in a way that blesses other people and that's life-giving. And maybe right now you're like, I could totally do that. Maybe that's some of you. Like, sounds good. Task completed. I show up to work all the time. But I think for the more honest versions of ourselves, or half of the room, we look at that list and say, I haven't done that once. Like, I haven't embraced the tasks before me, whether it's the errands that we have to do in our homes or it's the work that we have to do at our jobs. We've not once done it that way. We might show up, but we show up uh, cringing our teeth. We might show up, but we're afraid. And we, we do our work out of fear. We don't show up to work like the ant. We show up and then people have to tell us what to do. If they don't tell us what to do, we're not going to do it. 
This is the, the other side of Proverbs. You can read them all and say, this is really great advice, and I've done none of it. How will we do this kind of work? Uh, lastly, I just want to look at uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 20. I read it at the end of the, the gathering last week. But this passage is basically a little key for the whole book of Proverbs. Because you read it over and over and you think, who could ever do this? And this is what Paul writes, the Apostle Paul, to these people about wisdom. Uh, and, it, and it explains backwards the book of Proverbs. In verse 18 he says, uh, is that where I start? Verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, for the wisdom, for in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demanded signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weaknesses of God is stronger than men. And this passage is saying quite a bit, but one thing it's saying in particular is that Jesus himself is both the power of God and the wisdom of God. That, that Jesus is the embodiment, physical picture of wisdom. And we might say, who's lived a life where they've done work that way? Like Adam and Eve could do it for just like a short season and then they decided to rebel. Who's done it this way? Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. And this is just a little Proverbs tip. You can read it and hopefully you're reading it while we do this. Every time you see wise or wisdom, you can just put Jesus' name in there. Like, you can read it once with wisdom, then you read it back again and say, Oh, Jesus. And then you begin to see how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. That the knowledge of the Holy One is the beginning of insight. So let's just think through real fast. Like, if Jesus is the wisdom of God, if He's embodied all of that, then what is He like? How does He do work? See, Jesus shows up. He doesn't sit back from afar and say, man, I can't wait for these people to get their act together. Look at all these sluggards. He doesn't sit back and say, man, whenever they uh, can figure it out, whenever they can grovel before me enough or tell me how sorry they really are and make me believe it, then I'll accept all of you. No, he does the opposite. He's like the ant without any chief or compulsion or, or fear or trembling, he shows up and he takes initiative. And he finishes the task. And the, <coughs> excuse me, the ant, you might remember, is like gathering all of this stuff for harvest to eat bread. Jesus says, I'm going to come into this world. I'm going to show up into human history. And I'm going to take initiative and responsibility for all of you. Jesus doesn't live like the sluggard. Instead, he comes and he says, I will take on flesh and I will dwell among you. 
I will be wisdom for you in every aspect of life. I will live the righteous way. I will live a perfect human existence. In every aspect of life, you can look to me and see that's what work is supposed to be like. But he doesn't just show up. He doesn't leave any work undone. Jesus completes his work. Jesus didn't come into the world and say, hey, everybody, look at me. This is how you should do it. Peace. He comes in and he says, look, this is how you should do it, and I'm doing it for you. Like, what I am doing, the way that I live wisely, is not just to show you something, but it's on your behalf. That my work will also be completed. That he he doesn't look to the bowl and stick his hand in it and say, I'm too tired to pick it back up again. Jesus actually wraps his hands around the bowl of wrath and drinks it to the full. Jesus picks up his cross and carries it. And then in the end of his journey to the cross, he yells and he screams to all of us, it is finished. What's finished? All of that brokenness that we see in Genesis chapter 3 and everything that gets recycled ever since then. We're not coming up with new ways to be broken. We're doing the same ways. But then Jesus says, it's finished. He completes his work. He also isn't afraid. He doesn't cower for the lion in the street. He is the lion. With courage, he walks boldly to the cross with power. He's not afraid of the devil or sin or our brokenness. He's on board to defeat it. And with courage, he walks to the cross. And yet it's also with humility. He shaped and formed the world. That was his work. And yet, he puts himself under these governors and puppet leaders and allows them to condemn him and beat him on the way to the cross. Jesus completes his work with courage and humility, and it's for us. And then when you read Proverbs 9, it's hard not to think about Jesus' work being life-giving to all the fools out there to all the sluggards, to all the people who don't lack any sense, he says, come and eat. Because that's just what he did. He took responsibility for us all the way to the cross. The one who didn't know sin, who didn't live like a fool, who was never a sluggard, said, I will do the labor for you. The one who who acted wisely in everything comes to the unwise And he says, all of this is for you. For all of our unrighteous works, all the ways in which we contribute, like let's not pretend like we're the holy people at our workplaces, right? Like we are not. Or we're like the holy person in our homes that does all the dishes. We're not. He comes to us and he says, you've not lived well, but I will take responsibility for your rebellion. So that you won't have to be on the outside. You can come in. He's the one who's built his house, who's who's built the church. He's founded it. He's rooted it. He's the head of the church. And he comes and he says, come into this new life. Jesus creates a whole new world on that Sunday morning. And this is one of the cool things. Is that Sunday is the beginning of the work week. It's the, you know, 
when God created the heavens and the earth, it was like on a, on a Sunday morning. And then when Jesus rises from the dead, all those years later, after all the brokenness, everything broken away, he's saying, there is a new world that's being created, and I'm doing this work, and I'm going to form humans all over again. And when you're baptized, and we get excited and stoked about that, you're baptized into the same image, but you're made new. That the work that he is doing, all that justice work, revelatory work, redemption work, he's doing in Jesus in your own life. And we get to live in this powerful new way because wisdom showed up and, and it changed everything. And Jesus says to all of us today, come and drink. He holds up the communion glass and the bread and he says, eat this. That, that the bread that, that is sort of threatening to Adam, you're going to sweat all the days of your life just to eat some bread. Suddenly, Jesus says, I have died and been pierced and bruised and broken for you so that you can eat the bread of life forever. This is what we've always been longing for. And when we ask, how can I actually do the responsibilities and the labor of my hands tomorrow? All these things that seem so insignificant. It's not just that Jesus is the wisdom of God. He's the power of God in you. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is alive, beating within you. And that power will do work with wisdom. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your work. Your creative work. uh, Your provision for us. Your redemption. Your justice the way you revealed truth to us. Father, help us to fear you and begin walking in wisdom. Help us to see you uh, as the gracious Lord. And I pray for our own souls today that we would hear the call of come and eat. And we would acknowledge that we're people without any sense but that we've been welcomed into a banquet that will never end. Thank you for what you've done for us, Jesus. Help us, Spirit, to walk in this wisdom and see your life displayed through our simple actions. Give us the power to show up to our responsibilities. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.